we are just as fit for heaven as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Nearly 4,000 years ago, a man named Job asked this question. How shall a man be just with God? Many people do not understand the answer to Job's profound question. What is justification? What is the basis for it? What is the means of it? How can a man be justified before God? This week on the Bible Truth Podcast, Bill Prost will examine the subject of justification. If you have any questions on this topic or on what we have covered in the past, please contact us at info at BibleTruthPodcast.com. Welcome back to the Bible Truth Podcast. Uh, today we'll be taking up the subject of justification. So, Brother Bill, whenever you're ready, please go ahead. Well, thank you very much, Josh. The subject of justification is an important one and is mentioned a number of times in the Word of God. It's interesting that I don't believe we get that word justification in the Old Testament, although we do get a man by the name of Job asking the question, how can man sinful man be just with God? A very good question. And the New Testament gives us the answer. Let's read a couple of verses in connection with justification. The first one in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we'll start with the end of verse 22. For there is no difference, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. But then comes the precious truth, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then going on down to verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, his, that is God's righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And then in chapter 5 of Romans, Romans 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to be justified, because as we have already seen here in Romans 3, the preceding chapters have taken up the whole question of whether one were a Jew or a Gentile, a moralist who thought he was living a completely upright life, whatever he might be, God comes to the solemn conclusion 
that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then God has provided a way whereby we can be justified. Justification, what does it mean? There are those who have given a simple explanation by simply saying, it means we are just as if we never sinned. And that is all right as far as it goes. But I believe it fails to give the whole sense of what justification is. Because justification really means that you and I, as lost, guilty, and helpless sinners, are made righteous before God. What does that mean? It simply means that before God, you and I are brought to a place whereby we are just as fit for heaven as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In that sense, justification brings me nearer to God than if we had never sinned. If Adam had never sinned in the Garden of Eden, if Eve had never sinned, you and I would be enjoying the Garden of Eden today. Now, through justification and the righteousness of God, we are brought to the point where we are going to enjoy the Father's house. God is going to bring us there through the finished work of Christ. You mentioned justification is to be made righteous before God or declared righteous before God. A nice example is in Numbers 23, where Balaam, a false prophet who attempted to prophesy and curse the people of God, Israel, in order to receive a reward, but God would not allow him to do it. And instead, he changed his words such that he spoke God's mind. And what he said gives us a nice example, I think, of how God can declare someone righteous when by their own actions they are not. In the first parable of Balaam, he says, How shall I curse? Verse 8, Whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. So now he's getting God's perspective. And then in the second parable, he says, verse 21, He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. Isn't that wonderful? Israel at this very time was not in a very good state. And they had been a murmuring and rebellious people through the wilderness. And yet we find from God's perspective that he had not beheld iniquity in Jacob or seen perverseness in Israel. And that is just a picture of what is true in a far deeper sense for the believer. Although we have sinned grievously, yet God can look at us because of the work of Christ, because of the shed blood of Christ, and say, I have not beheld iniquity in Bill. I have not beheld iniquity in Josh. Not because of ourselves, but through the virtue of the work of Christ and the shed blood of Christ. Well, that's so nice, Josh. I actually thought of referring to that scripture, but I'm glad you brought it out. And so we have already read about being justified in Romans 3. But 
We'd like to turn to another verse, this time in the book of the Acts, the book of the Acts, chapter 13. And we may have referred to this scripture before, but it bears reading again. Acts chapter 13 and verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. But then here's more now. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Justified from all things. Some people in this world like to think that the work of Christ is able to save up to a certain point. But if someone is too bad, then it won't work. I remember very well, and I'm old enough to remember it, when a man by the name of Adolf Eichmann was arrested down in South America by uh, an Israeli commando squad and taken back to the land of Israel to stand trial for the atrocities committed by the Nazi government under his direction during the Second World War and prior to the war. And there were those who actually visited Eichmann when he was on death row and waiting to be executed and brought before him that he could be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There were those who strongly objected to that. And I well remember an editorial in our paper that said, how can this man who has the blood of 6,000 more and more people on his hands possibly be forgiven for all that he has done? I don't believe in that brand of Christianity. I remember well presenting that to a group of young people in a jail once and asking them, well, what do you think? And I read this verse to them. I said, if Adolf Eichmann had turned to the Lord, could he have been saved? It chokes me up to tell you that one young man spoke up and said, well, sir, the verse says all things. So I guess he could have been saved. I said, thank you. That is right. Absolutely right. Sad to say there was no repentance in Eichmann's heart. And as far as I know, he went out of this world in a into a lost eternity. But there was an offer of pardon for him from God himself. All things so that you and I, being justified, are just as fit for heaven as Christ himself. Scripture mentions justification, however, in several ways. Let's turn back to the book of Romans again, because... Romans makes it very clear as to how we are justified. We already read this, but let's read it again. Romans 3 and 24. Being justified freely by his grace. Isn't that beautiful? That is the source of justification. Because it was the grace of God and the love of God that looked down on you and me as nothing but lost, guilty, helpless sinners. And the grace of God sent God's beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to die for us in order that we might be saved. 
But then there had to be a basis for that. The grace of God, wonderful though it was, could not satisfy the holy nature of God. Turn over to Romans chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Ah, there is the basis for it in the sight of God. The light of God's presence exposes your sin and mine. But when we come to Christ, whatever the light exposes, the blood covers. How precious. Justified by his blood. The basis of it. Before God, that precious blood has power to cleanse from all sin. But then how do we get it? We read that verse already in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith. Ah, that is the means of it. The blood, we say it with all reverence, will do me no good. Nor will the grace of God in sending his son do me any good. Unless I get hold of it. Unless I lay hold of it by faith. I must believe God. I must believe what he has said. I must believe what he has told us concerning his estimate of the precious blood of Christ. And re let us remember that it is not our estimate primarily of the blood of Christ that is important, but God's estimate. In the Old Testament, you'll remember when the Israelites were about to leave Egypt, God was going to come through the land and kill the firstborn of every family. What protected the Israelites from that same judgment? God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. How blessed to understand that when God sees the blood of Christ, he does not have to judge me for my sins. You might say one of the themes of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. The thought of righteousness is that of consistency. That God, in order to justify us, he didn't bend his own rules in order to do it. He remained consistent with his own nature in order to do that. And that verse you read in Romans 3 brings that out. That God might be just and the justifier. Of him that believeth in Jesus. So that God is righteous in doing what he did. What is the basis? It's the work of Christ. That the Lord Jesus suffered for our sins. The just for the unjust. He took our guilty place. So that God can justify us. And himself remain righteous. Remain consistent with his own moral standards. Is that right? Amen. Indeed it is. As you say, God did not have to compromise one bit in order to save you and me. He could not. It would have been denial, a denial of his holy nature to do so. He could not simply pass over our sins. The full penalty must be paid for them. But thank God it has been paid through the work of Christ. All this is wonderful. But we'd like to talk about a couple of other matters concerning justification because here 
and in uh, Acts 13, we are justified from all things. And that is most wonderful. <clears throat> but justification goes beyond that. Suppose God were simply to justify me from all my sins. That would be blessed. But then suppose that were the end of it. And God simply left it there. Where would that leave me? It would leave me still with a sinful, fallen nature that can do nothing but sin. But what has God done? Let's go back to Romans 5 and read something else there. Another term concerning justification. Romans 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, that is Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, that's God, the free gift came upon all men, now notice the phrase, unto justification of life. What does that mean? Justification is not only negative, it's also positive. I am not only justified from all things, and that is most blessed, but I am also brought into justification of life. What does that mean again? We have already covered the subject of deliverance from the power of sin in our lives, so that we won't go over it in detail again. But justification of life simply means that God, in addition to blotting out with the blood of Christ all my sin, has given me a new life in Christ that wants to please him. If the old sinful nature can do nothing but sin, the new life that God has given us cannot sin. So the believer has two natures. Now God says, I want that new life to be displayed in your practical lifestyle and in the way you live in this world. How precious that is. So let us not forget that. We now have the ability to walk in a new way before God. That's wonderful. I was thinking too about that expression justification of life you mentioned how there's the negative side the forgiveness the the non-imputation of sin the blotting out of sin there's the negative aspect of justification and then the positive we've been given the life of christ we've been placed into the very position of christ before god that expression that comes up so often in paul's ministry in Christ, and how when God looks at us, he sees his own beloved son. And what an amazing place that is. I love how you turn that expression, uh, just as if I'd never sinned, to just as fit for heaven as Christ. Beautiful. Mm. And it reminds me of Ephesians 1, where it says that we are accepted in the beloved our, our mm. acceptance is 
every bit that of God's own beloved son. Amen. Beautiful. Romans chapter 5, we read the first phrase of verse 1. And we won't take the time now to read the rest of it, but I would encourage you to read Romans 5, verses 1 to the end of verse 5, because there we find seven aspects or seven results of justification. They are well worth looking into. I'll just mention the first three. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That happens once when we get saved, when by faith we lay hold of the finished work of Christ. Then it says in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. That's in the present. Now, because we have been brought to Christ and have his new life, we have access to grace that goes on with us in everyday life and helps us to live a life that is pleasing to God. But then there's something in the future. The end of verse 2 says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's what we look forward to, the Lord's coming to take us home. Well, there are other results of justification. We'll leave that for your meditation. But I'd like to mention one other point, and to see that, turn over to the book of James. Right at the end of the, or toward the end of the New Testament, right after the book of Hebrews, the book of James, and here, James says something that sometimes, at least for some people, has been very confusing. It says in chapter 2 of James, in verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. And then in verse 21, it says, was not Abraham our father? And here it uses the word justified by works. When he had offered his Isaac, his son, upon the altar. And then going down further in verse 24, it says, Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. How do we answer that? Some people would take that up and say, well, see, it has to be partly by the work of Christ, but you have to do your part too. Is that what the Bible is really saying? Is it contradicting itself? Even as well-known a man as Martin Luther had no use for the book of James, didn't care for it because it seemed to conflict with the precious truth that he had gotten hold of, justification by faith. But the explanation is rather simple, isn't it? Before God, we are justified only by faith. And Ephesians 2 makes that clear that it is not of works, lest any man should boast. You and I have no part in our salvation. It is all the finished work of Christ. So what does it mean to be justified by works? 
Oh, that means, I suggest, that we are justified before men by works. And so the Lord Jesus understood that, and he told his disciples that by their works shall ye know them, by their deeds shall ye know them. In other words, you and I cannot look into someone else's heart. We can only tell by the way they live, whether they are truly saved or not. Now, of course, we could be wrong, and Scripture says the Lord knoweth them that are his. But we are entitled to judge. When we see someone who says, I am a Christian, we are entitled to judge from his lifestyle, from the way he conducts himself, whether it's real or not. <clears throat> and so James is bringing that before those to whom he wrote. Because he was writing to the Jewish nation, to the nation of Israel, and they were accustomed to being content with an outward position, but without much inward reality. And he is simply bringing before them the fact that if there is real faith, it will be shown in our lives. That is the point James is making. It does not conflict with what we get in Romans and Acts and Ephesians. Join us next time on the Bible Truth Podcast, where we will take up the subject of sanctification. If you have any questions, please email us at info at bibletruthpodcast.com.